I am really blessed to have uh, three great siblings. Um, it's a great blessing, but it's particularly a unique thing that I have an identical twin brother that I'm really grateful for. Um, it's great to have somebody who will never forget your birthday. It's great to have a bag of extra parts. But it's great to have a really, a really good friend. And we've been friends all along. We were roommates, obviously, before four things. And we had our first controversy when it was exit time. As I've said before, you know, uh, I figured out it was a race. And I beat him by three minutes. He says he figured out it was a fight. And he threw me out the door and took three minutes to regroup. But I will say this, however it started, we've become really, really good friends, and he is a holy friend. And that's what I want to talk about today, our holy friends. And I know that the liturgical purist in the room will be going like, but wait a minute, aren't we talking about the transfiguration today? Okay, well, let me say how we got from there to here, and I'll say something about the transfiguration, because it is a really important thing, the transfiguration, right? We have this moment in time where we get Jesus up on the mountain, and he glows and is transformed before their eyes. And he's with Moses and Elijah. And all this stuff happens. And we hear God the Father's voice. And everything that's going on with this is like super powerful. Scholars today, many scholars today think this happened on Mount Ermin, 9,200 feet. That's where all this is going on. And what we know is that the Eastern Church has celebrated the transfiguration since like at least by 1,000. The Western Church since 1457 with some and the goofy part about this I just got to call out is that is when, when it's celebrated because the Roman Catholics ended up picking August 6th as the day that's the feast of the transfiguration and then for reasons I don't completely fully understand <clears throat> a number of Protestant churches made it the last Sunday of Epiphany and then you would think the Anglicans kind of way we roll you think they'd kind of say August 6th and Epiphany we're going to put it in November kind of in the middle, but that's not what we did. We actually said, let's do both. So we do it in August 6th. We do it now. And if you want to hear a full sermon on the transfiguration, go back to around August 6th. And I preached one then. But how we got from there to where we are today is, of course, the readings that we put for today are on that. And we got this uh, great first reading we did about Elijah and this great character that he is. And I kind of want to dig in and go to that place. And I'm sure they picked that reading because we get this fantastic story. He's one of the people that's on the Mount of the Transfiguration. And it stokes the, the fire of miracles a little bit because we get this phenomenal chariots of fire scene taking place and all that's going on with that. And I want to focus there and kind of unpack that. And when we start to look at the two that are involved in this, you have Elijah and Elisha. And we're going to talk about those too. It reminds me a little bit, to go back to my twin brother, we had a neighbor across the street, Dr. Hicks, who could never tell us apart. And so he would, whenever we, he'd encounter one of us, he'd call us Pete. And when the other one showed up, he'd call us repeat. And, and I think it's like Elisha and Elijah, it's like the same thing. But so to keep it straight in your mind, Elijah with a J is the master. He's the senior prophet. And Elisha is the student. And the one that's learning from him and at his feet. And, and for context, again, just on the two of them, let me just say a little bit about both of them for a second. Elijah, we're t he's, all the activities that Elijah does is like in the ninth century B.C. And there are, there are only five chapters in the Bible that go into Elijah. There's 1 Kings 17 to 19 and then um, where we got our reading from today, 2 Kings 1 and 2. 
Five chapters, that's where we get it. But he's super famous, like with all the stuff he does. And he's this prophet that is like a purist um, for Yahweh. And he is always opposing those who worship Baal and all the syncretism where people want to grab little bits and pieces of other religions and bring it into Judaism. He's radically against that. And he's standing up at the time when he's doing his ministry against King Ahab and, of course, his famous wife and queen, Jezebel. And he's seen as like the, uh, the, a Moses figure, like he's the new Moses in a way. And if you remember your Bible along the way, you'll, you may remember the story that I think is so um, interesting to think about. I'm calling it the pre-smackdown. But this story where Elijah gets with, has this competition, like I'm, I'm, this to me is like a WWE kind of event. But it's like, they're like, okay, well, let's have a priest off. And the, and the priest of Baal get over here and they're going to have their wood on an altar. And they're going to have the morning to try to get their God to put it on fire. And over here in his corner is Elijah who's got his wood on the altar kind of a thing. And they spend the whole morning over on the Baal side trying to get God to come light this stuff. And I kind of like the message translation sometimes. But it's funny to go read the taunts the way he translate them because Elijah's over there like, yeah, maybe he hadn't woken up yet. And maybe he overslept, you know, like all this kind of stuff to their, and nothing ever happens. And then he's extremely confident on his side. And he's like, okay, well, you know what? Let's make it a little more challenging. Why don't y'all bring some water and dump everything on the altar and get it really wet? Do that a few times. And then we'll call on God to light it. And he does and it, it ignites. And just to remind you that it is the Old Testament, Elijah 1 versus the 500 priests, all the 500 priests over here get killed, so Old Testament. So anyway, that's a sermon for another day, like how that's going on. But that's, the, that's one of the really significant, memorable events that you, when you read these five chapters. And then you look at as early as the 5th century, you get great preachers like John Chrysostom, the Golden Mouth, who note the parallels between Elijah and Moses, that they both stood up to tyrants, Egypt, Ahab, that they both were about trying to do stuff for the people who were not being obedient they were both common, common men, unlearned. They both were radically against um, money and wealth sort of kind of a deal. That's kind of where they were. And then I guess the final big story we have for Elijah when you're talking about him is the one we got today with the chariots of fire and how much art and imagery and everything goes around this moment where he's like one of two people to ever get assumed into heaven this, you know, in some kind of way. But he rides on this chariot of fire, horses of fire, and gets lifted up. He's famous, right? He's really famous. Five chapters, but he's really famous. So even today, like when you do a Seder meal within at Passover, within um, Judaism, you have the empty seat for Elijah to return and come. And he's famous within Judaism. He's famous within Christianity. He's even famous within Islam. You'll get him in all different places. Within Christianity, he's seen as a precursor to the Messiah coming. And Jesus will later identify John the Baptist as the Elijah figure and all of this that's going on. So that's, a, that's Elijah. Then we get, we got Pete, now we got repeat. We come to Elisha and we get that he's this student, but he, so he's obviously at the same time and that he's following him. And he gets this great commissioning for the main part of his ministry that we hear about today because he gets his mantle and his legacy. And then right away, he gets authority because he goes right back across the same river, hitting the river with the, with the um, garment and it splits and he goes across. And later that day, we, we kept reading, 
you'll hear how he purified the water for the kids and all this kind of stuff. So he's, he's and people are watching that. So he gets commissioned and he gets this authority and he's, he also gets this level of fame. One of the things you'll hear about him again and again in the Bible is how on this one day he heals a Syrian general, uh, Naaman, of leprosy. And later on, Jesus will refer back to that when you read Jesus closely because when Jesus is kind of taking some flack for healing Gentiles, he's like, yeah, well, I'm just doing like Elisha did right there in healing this guy. So that, lots of famous stories with him, and he's famous too. But those, are, those are the two guys that we're talking about that are involved in this reading. And we get to this reading, and I think it's super interesting because for all that Elijah's been through, I think he could have used some very public vindication on this day, but it really doesn't happen. Like everybody seems to know that he's going away on this day. So every time they encounter these prophets, they're telling Elisha, hey, you know he's going away today. Like everybody knows this is gonna happen. But then the narrator tells the story, but apparently only Elisha gets to watch it. Like we don't get that there's anybody else. And so it's like a personal thing. And, 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 and the focus of the narrator isn't on the two big miracles. It wasn't on, he doesn't dwell on the parting of the river. He doesn't dwell a lot on the chariots of fire and all this. He dwells on the long goodbye between Elisha and Elijah. And as I said, I like the, the message translation, the way Eugene Peterson translates this, this thing that keeps happening. So every time Elijah says to Elisha, hey, God's calling me on this errand to this little town over here. Why don't you stay here? I'll say goodbye. And the way Eugene Peterson translates it is he, is he says, not on your life. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And so he goes with him. And he gets to the next village. And he says, hey, God's calling me to this other village to do another errand. Bye. And he's like, not on your life. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And this goes on for a few different times. And we get that this, this thing is happening. And at some point in this, Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want? And Elisha says to him, like, I want to be like you. I want to be a holy man like you. And Elijah's answer back to him is, man, you've asked for a really hard thing. But you know what? If you can hang out and you see all this take place, that, you know, that's doable. And what we have in this whole story to me is you look at these two, these two people, Elijah and Elisha, is a holy friendship. And that's what I titled today. Holy friends is what I titled the sermon I might have been tempted to, to go to call it discipleship, but I was afraid I'd either scare the Episcopalians away or people would be like, what? But I think holy friends is a, is a great way to think about this. It's a holy friendship. And you go back and look at their relationship, you get this moment, like just going back to the start, you get this moment when Elijah sees Elisha out plowing the field in his parents' farm. And he comes up to him and basically kind of throws his mantle around him and calls him as a disciple. And for his part, Elisha, this youth, sees something in Elijah and on a whim basically says yes. And it's kind of like prefiguring what's going to happen when Jesus calls his disciples. But he says yes and he follows him. And we don't know how long they had this thing going. Whether it was months or whether it was years, we don't know. But what we know is that they had a deep friendship and we know that at the end of the day, Elijah imparts his spiritual legacy to Elisha to be a person that is wholly oriented to God. And that's the way it was. Elijah, 
was wholly oriented to God and in time Elisha was as well. They had this holy friendship. And you can think about all the mentoring and learning and all the experiences they had in that friendship that helped go to that place. I think it's a great example of holy friendship. And when we think about holy friendship, I'm going to suggest that there are probably three things that always go into holy friendships. It's a relationship. There is going to be an example. And there's encouragement. That those three things are always in these things. And I think about... I don't know if you've had the, the joy of this, but I've had a lot of people in my life who've been holy friends. I think back, I think back to when I was in high school. If you haven't figured out, I'm weird on some stuff, right? But I'm in high school, and the two things that were in my mind early in high school was God's either calling me to be a pilot in the military or ordained clergy. This is early in high school. That's where I'm at. And that's like, okay, how do you fit those together? How do those go? But anyway, this, when I was in the summer of my sophomore year, I was a church camp counselor for the summer at an Episcopal church camp in Comfort, Texas. And as soon as we got going, I met a guy who was named Bert Shepard who had been an admiral in the Navy, an aviator, and was now a priest. And so we spent countless hours talking about both of these things. And I really look back and think God brought him into my life as a holy friend. Or I think back about when I was transitioning, um, learning what it was to learn about ordained ministry and clergy. I'd spent a year at a church in London and the guy that was a mentor there was a guy named Sandy Miller who had been a barrister and he was this really amazing guy, but he was so spirit led and he was like had this wonderful place. He would meet every week with every clergy person for an hour to mentor them. And at some point along the way, I was in seminary, he was like, I'll do it with you. And so we'd meet for an hour at his vicarage and he would, he would mentor me. He's like one of those key people. I guess I could go on and on, but I would mention one more in, in my twin brother that I started the sermon with. He's a holy friend because he's been a person who's encouraged me and at times has shown me an example of what it means to embody the Christian life in different contexts. And I, but, I, you know, it still was a race. He, he didn't lose. Um, but we might ask the question, where do we find holy friends? And I think God brings them into our life in lots of different ways, but I want to suggest a really key way is the church. And if you get down to talking about what the church is about, I think the church is ultimately, they're about a number of things, but two really prominent things are about worship and encouraging holy friendships. It's two vital things that we do, meant to grow us closer to Christ Jesus. And we think about the worship being in a place where our restless minds can come and honor God and receive from God and experience his love. And then the holy friendships are, are a place where we can be in a place where people are quick to acknowledge God's presence and to talk about how we're trying to follow. And I think sooner or later we're all like Elisha wanting somebody and needing somebody to kind of show us that. How's that what's that look like? And it takes all kinds of shapes and forms. I think it can be like Elijah and Elisha with a mentor and a mentee. I think it can be, I think you can have holy friends that are just equals in a circle like a group where you encourage each other and you set examples for each other. It can take other um, embodiments. Like I think about one of my friends who helps uh, ex-inmates who are coming back into the world and shows them the love of Christ in helping them make that transition 
and figure out how that works. There are lots of ways I think they're holy friendships, lots of different forms. But at the end of the day, the church is meant to be a place, I believe, where we're meant to find holy friends. People that are going to encourage us that way. And in a little bit when we do the peace in a minute, you're not just greeting the people around you. They're holy friends. They're, not, they're even family. But whatever brought you here today, I want to suggest that we're about worshiping. We're about trying to encourage and uplift holy friendships. And my question to you, is God calling you? What kind of shape is that taking place? Is it meant to be that maybe you're in a chapter where God wants you to mentor somebody? Just to talk about the example, to kind of get, embody it for somebody else and, and encourage them. Or maybe you're in a place where God has somebody for you to show you what that next step look like, looks like. What it means to keep going in your journey with Christ. With whatever you're doing. I think God continues to show us this thing. I think for us, the thing is, let's stay in a place where there are lots of holy friends. And I'm honored to look at you guys and say, I'm grateful for the holy friends in this room that I have. And not on your life am I letting you out of my sight. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us and you call us on a journey of healing and of hope as we face things here. And you call us to minister to one another and to be in a place where we're ministered to through holy friendships. Lead us and guide us in that. And may we continue to walk with you and grow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.